Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic. What makes the best leaders so good? Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related. As you've heard, we have had some great guests on here uh, sharing some leadership wisdom, some great stories, and today is certainly no exception. We have a fantastic guest, somebody who I've been really excited to have on this show because I've known him for a long time. I actually, when I first came into financial services, he was a guy that just everybody knew about. I mean, his name was all over the organization. He was the leader. <laughs> He's chuckling, but he knows it's true. Uh, so as a, back, back in 1994, when I started in the business, uh, Scott DeJamarino was the guy. He was the one who led the uh, top organizations, the top uh, regions, the top offices. And uh, I got a chance to work uh, along with him for many, many years and see it firsthand um, that he is somebody who's going to share a lot of wisdom with us today. So, Scott, welcome. Thanks for joining today. John, that's a great introduction you hired. (laughs) (laughs) I made my money, right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, thank you. (laughs) No, but I'll tell you what, in all seriousness, you were a guy that uh, I always emulated as a new leader coming in. And there's so much I want to get into and just ask you questions about. uh, But I always want to emulate you because you just had this great combination of energy, enthusiasm. You built a great culture. Uh, So I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about this, but that. But why don't first for the audience, why don't you just start with your story? You know, how did you get into this? How did you get into leadership? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so so I graduated from Babson College Business School up in Boston in '84, and um, I, I was I was actually recruited to work for a company called IDS Financial Services back in the day, um, which was owned by American Express, and um, I uh, was very very interested in money, and <laughs> making money and managing money, and I went to a class one day and they had 400 people, of which they ended up hiring two, and I happened to be one of the two guys being hired. And so I got into financial services, built a client base. But uh, I got to tell you, I really, I, I really got hooked on leadership. Um, we, it, it was actually taught was class. I actually taught it at, uh, at when I was at Babson. But uh, one of your guests, I think last week, Larry Post came in to take over the Boston region, and he said, "Scott, you could be smart enough to be dumb enough to do what I tell you to do." <laughs> <laughs> you know, he goes, "You'll do really well for yourself, and you'll help a lot of people." And so, um, and so, um, I love the systems that he put in place. I think you worked for him as well, and he, he just he is the man. Um, and I basically was um, following. Uh, the structure he put into place and leadership, and um, and I, I got the bug. I just loved it, and I loved helping and develop, motivate, inspire, and helping people tra- tap into their true potential. That's awesome. So, how long was it? How long were you in it before you got actually formally into leadership? So, I was an advisor for three years, um, and then um, Larry came, and I was was the first guy he put into, into onto his management team. And so um, I was a leader for three years. And if you remember back in the day, we used to have this scorecard um, and uh, oh, yeah. we hit, we hit, 
we had a perfect score for three straight years on the scorecards. You know, because those, those those ten things they put together, and then um, and then I was ready for the next level. And I actually had, unfortunately enough, to have a choice of a number of different places of where to go. And I chose to go to Washington D.C. Um, to say what was the FEP back in the day. Um, and, the, and the funny story is when we got here in 1992, the region we took over was ranked 173rd out of 176. It was one of the worst wow. uh, environments in the history of mankind. <laughs> 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 but, um, but I'll tell you, man, in, in one year, we, we, I basically took Larry systems and implemented them in the, in the DC market. And in one year, we went from number 173 to number one. And we maintained wow. that best-in-class ranking for almost 20 years. That is Unbelievable. I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that. I knew obviously you had a tremendous success. I didn't know that detail. That's incredible. So, well, we got here. My, my, we got here. My wife's like, What did you do? <laughs> it was just, it'd be, it, it, a lot of it was. It was, it was, it was, it was the complete opposite of what I came from up in Boston. Yeah. So, so what's that like? I mean, because there's a ton of leaders, and I know people that listen to this that are like, Okay, you know, there's a lot of people that look at the perspective. They said, Hey, I want to take over a winning organization. I've always been in the belief, and, and it sounds like you too. You don't want to do that. That's not really where you're going to shine. But that's a really big culture shock. I mean, how do you handle that mentally when you walk into a place like that? I, I got to tell you, uh, to be honest with you, I was I had I was nervous <laughs> when I first walked in and got off the elevators and saw what I saw uh, and heard what I heard and learned what I had to learn. I, the numbers when I looked at the numbers ahead of time, I thought, okay, this is the, I I know what to do. But when you actually stepped in day one and had to lead through it, especially with some of the existing people, it was it was a little nerve wracking. But I get but I gotta tell you that the key was um, I walked in day one, painted this compelling vision, you know, here's where we're going. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, you can choose to join or not join, but here's where we're going with this thing and we're gonna and we had this adage that if you can't change the people, you change the people, mm-hmm. um, which we did quickly. Um, and then we put systems into place. Um, yeah. And, 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 and part of those systems were everything from classes to recruiting to, uh, to uh, uh, developing principles and values through the organization or driving those principles and values through the organization. Mm-hmm. And my whole thing is I wanted people to understand how I thought and how I made decisions and be very transparent about that so that when they were by themselves and they had to make a principle-based decision, um, hopefully it was aligned with what we uh, were preaching. Okay. Did you have a lot of pushback at the beginning? People that just didn't didn't believe in what you're doing? Oh my God, seventy percent of the organization. Really? We can't we can't do this. This will never change. Um, you know, what are you thinking? This isn't Boston. Um, and so, um, but uh, I got to tell you, I, I had lifelines. I reached out to a lot of friends of mine, uh, Larry, you know, Peter Vlardy, who I think you're gonna have on pretty soon, et cetera. I said, guys, I said, st- help me stay the course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> keep keep my keep my mind straight, and they did. And um and that gave me the confidence that when when people would push back, I would share the why. But yeah. when it's all said and done, I made the decision, and yeah. and we just continue to push forward. Did you have any self doubt at those points, those early pe- periods of time? Every night, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> Every why you had life. your lifelines, right? <laughs> That's why I had my life, but I, but I got to tell you, it's um, it's a belief. It, when you grew up in a system that was successful, like we had up in Boston, and you saw how it worked, and you know if you just if you just got the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus, 
um, uh, long-term it would pay off. And for us, it was exactly a year. It was October of 1992 to October 1993. That's when we went from number 173 to number one. Wow. So it was almost like you you have seen a movie before. You knew how it was going to end, and you knew that they didn't see it. So you had the confidence of saying, hey, listen, if we keep going this way. Was it, I um, did. Well, how do you know? So that, you know, you got to either change the people or change the people. How do you know you've reached a point where, okay, I can't change this person and they're not on the bus with me? What are the things that tell you that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, a lot of times people won't. Uh, don't necessarily want to follow a system or they, they're, um, they're what the, are you familiar with employee engagement scores? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they are, they fall into the actively disengaged category, mm-hmm. you know, disengaged, disengaged and actively disengaged and actively disengaged people, the people that try to take you down. Mm-hmm. So they're talking behind the pot of palms. They're taking long lunches. They, they may not be as ethical as you want them to be. Uh, they make poor decisions and it gets back to you. And so I, you know, pretty quickly, um, uh, I can also read faces. And so I just know when people were, were on board and people were not. And, and again, the speed was everything. And we can try, we tell them the why behind things and what's in it for them. But when it's all said and done, um, you know, if you're not, if you're not with the game plan, see you later. So let me ask you this. And you said speed. So there's different perspectives on, okay, I take over an organization and especially one like that, that's not doing well. You're making a ton of changes. I mean, how fast do you, do you kind of stagger them out or do you are you worried about the fact that hey it's gonna be too much change at once or do you just hey let's flip the switch and do this quickly yeah that's a great question john i you know it's funny when i look back at it i think about it um we blew it up fast because i basically this is what's going on this is what's going to happen and i just i needed to peel the band-aid off yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so we had everything we had everything in place all the systems all the classes all the training all the structure in place within three or four weeks that's great. That's great. And you know what? It's funny. I, I look back on times I've taken over broken places and I, every single time I said, boy, all those changes I made, I should have even made them faster. As fast as I might've made them, I should have made them faster. So that's right. good to hear. But you I got to tell you, the, but the, but the key to this whole thing, the success of it was, was we, we, uh, we were transparent. Mm-hmm. So we said, guys, this is where we're going. This is what's in it for you, which is very important. Okay, and this is what it's in it for the entire organization. And once they understand or understood the principles behind things, it was very easy for people to understand the decisions and the changes that were taking place. So how important is transparency and what does that do for an organization and what does that do for the leader? So um, I think transparency creates trust. Uh, and then trust creates loyalty and loyalty creates a belief in somebody. And that belief will ultimately lead to, uh, to best efforts on a day to day basis. Okay. And I, I, and so, so I think transparency, that goes back to my style of leadership. I'm Italian, you know, <laughs> um, I, I tend to over communicate versus under communicate, especially in times of chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm always focusing on, you know, the why behind things. That's great. And it helps people understand they may not like a decision or something that's happening, but if you're transparent, you're letting them know the, the why behind it. They can at least, they may not agree with it, but they can support it is what you're saying. Correct. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly Got right. It. So let me ask you, because yeah, you're speaking about communication. One of the things I, I always uh, admired about you as well and a lot of people struggle with the tough messages. You know, you know, you got to give them. Some people are really almost too good at delivering them. Some people just shy away totally from doing them. You had this way of delivering a tough message when you needed to in a really unique way. It was like, I think you, I think you actually had a process around doing it. But the buddy, the buddy, oh, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk to us about that. How did you do it? Because it was masterful. 
Oh, thank you. That's, that's great that you remember that. It's funny. Um, um, different people like messages a different way. There are some people that like to be, be hit right between the eyeballs. Just give me the message. Give me the bad news. But then there are some people like what I call the sandwich technique. And the sandwich technique is tell me something good, hit me in the middle, and tell me something bad, good at the end, right, to sandwich it. Yeah. And um, I actually asked people how they like their messages. So I say, John, listen, we're, we're going to communicate effectively together. Um, again, I could just hit you between the eyeballs with a message or I could sandwich it. How do you like it? Uh, and I actually took notes. <laughs> wow. And, so, and so, so if I knew you like sandwiching a message, like I like sandwiching a message. Yeah. So my, my, my uh, COO at the time used to walk in and he used to say, he goes, Deej, I love your tie, which I knew something <laughs> was coming in the middle. <laughs> um, uh. but, but, but honestly, is, it's, uh, seriously, is, is, is if you can, as a leader, and this is part of my thing, is if you can adapt your style around an individual person, especially when you're small, it's easier to do. Mm -hmm. um, um, I find it very effective and I think it's very respectful, quite frankly. Well, and the great thing about that, number one, that the fact that you took, and you led large organizations, I mean, several hundred people. So the fact that you took the time to actually ask people and especially key players how they wanted to you know get a message says a lot about you. But I think one of the other takeaways and, and from uh, from an outsider looking in, even when you had to deliver a really tough message, sometimes people take it personally, right? You deliver a tough message to me. I'm thinking, wow, Scott, Scott doesn't like me anymore. People, their natural tendencies to feel that way or that your pro this situation wasn't bad. It's me as a person. But you left people feeling good, even though that you might have delivered a tough message. It was business. It wasn't personal, but it was business. Right. 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 That's, that's exactly right. No, no question about it. Um, yeah. it's, but it's funny that you mentioned you just brought something that was really funny. You know, one of the challenges we had is, is it's, it's easy to get to number one, right, uh, in a turnaround situation, but it's much harder to stay there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's funny. Over six years, I'll give you an example. In six years, we went from one office to 207. We went from 32 employees to 1600 at the peak. We went from uh, three leaders underneath me to well over 100. And as you know, when you have a best in class organization like you did and I did, um, people are always your peers around the country are all saying, can I come visit? <laughs> you know, and they, and they want to come visit, and um, and and magically, when they come visit, they spend their week or two with it. Magically, there's a, a vice president position someplace else in their region the next day because they come and steal your top talent, right? <laughs> Uh, and so, and so it's funny at one point in time, I counted, um, um, you know, we, at one point in time promoted out over 120 leaders, um, uh, throughout all of American express back in the day, whether it's coaches, managers, vice presidents, whatever it may have been GVPs back in the day. And it became harder and harder to connect with the individuals as you got, as you scaled up, mm -hmm. you know, and so that, and that kind of you know, led me into, you know, really digging into learning about how people learn today and what's the most important thing about communication is all about in leadership. Yeah. So how did you, I, I want to ask you a bunch of questions about that, but how did you, you know, it's easy for an organization. I think when you're at the top, consistently at the top, you almost start just believing the press. And, and, and somebody told me, you're never as good as people say you are. You're never as bad as people say you are. Don't read the press. But how do you fight that natural urge to for complacency to set in? How do you keep the team motivated and, and all the players running hard? Well, first of all, I, I always had to compete with you guys. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, um, no, to be honest with you, is 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 um, 
I, I am driven to succeed. And, and one of the principles that I have is if you help other people get what they want, both personally and professionally, you'll, you'll ultimately get what you want. And that's what I always live by. And so as we continue to recruit and bring people on board and, and brought up to the system, you always, as, as you did, you always see potential in people. And you realize that it's kind of like being a dad. You know, when you have a dad, you want your, you want your kids to uh, achieve great things and be happy. I, I saw the 1,600 people as part of La Familia. <laughs> you know, I wanted that for them as well. And, and I would push. And if, and if there were people out there that became stagnant, as you knew, we were part of a growth organization. We always had to grow in order to get, to, to get recognized and paid. Um, you needed these people to grow. And if they didn't want to grow, then what you had to do is you had to, you had to recruit more people to build that up to build that up. And so um, it, um, it, it's all about, for me, when I, when I really think back, back in the day, it's all about setting, here's my principles, here's my values, here's what I'm being asked to do by the organization. I need to grow by 20, 25% each and every year. I want you to be part of it because if you grow, we grow, everybody's happy. If you choose not to grow, that's okay. Okay, doesn't make you a bad person. I said, but we're going to be bringing on a whole bunch of people who are going to join the system to help boost the organization's health. And, it, and that worked, especially when we became decentralized. Yeah, that really drives people for sure. How do you keep that kind of, because you always had a great culture. You had, you had that family kind of feel, even though, even when it was huge, uh, were there other things that went into that? Was that deliberate things that you did to kind of keep that? feel that way well this is this is where moviecom started to be honest with you yeah. uh, you know back back in the day so um so moviecom is is, is my company now and essentially we uh, have a have a licensing deal with the hollywood movie studios where we use movie clips as an engagement tool um and what ended up happening was was three things uh one is i as i mentioned over a six-year period we grew immensely and our old boss, remember Sam Samson, used to yell at me saying, Scott, you're growing too fast. I'm like, Sam, I got it. I got it. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but it's funny. As we grew, we saw our leading indicators shaking a little bit. And the leading indicators were things like leadership impact scores, employee engagement scores, um, et cetera. Um, part one is a problem. Part two is a problem. As I mentioned, when the leaders were getting promoted out, the people we were replacing them were getting younger and younger and younger. Uh, with less life experience. So we had to figure out a way to drive results and drive culture through a number of talented leaders, but they were junior um, um, and they were, they were younger. Um, and then the third thing was happening was, as you know, we recruited right out of college back in the day. Okay. And I didn't know it then, but I know it now. It was the beginning of the millennial generation. Okay, and if you do some studies on this generation, you learn that they think differently. The millennials and the, and the Zers. It's a video generation. It's a YouTube generation. You know, they want to be entertained while they learn. They um, um, uh, they're not into the three-hour classes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so so it's funny. The biggest the biggest gap we found is that today's leaders, um, uh, especially if you're mid forties to late uh, to mid fifties, guys like you and I were brought up a certain way. We were trained a certain way, motivated a certain way, uh, uh, and and if we try to use those techniques to train this other generation, this younger generation, studies show they're going to disengage, they're going to check out, and they're going to ultimately quit. Um, and the cost of recruiting and training has never been higher, and I saw that back in the 90s. 
So what we used to, I love movies. And what we used to do back in the day was when I, when I watch a movie, like let's say uh, it's um, uh, Braveheart, I get goosebumps. I remember the scenes. I remember the lines. I remember the emotions about how I felt. And so part of our strategy was to use movie clips as a tool, an engagement tool for the workplace. So if you work for me every week, we would send you this weekly Monday morning motivation email. And it was about our principles and our values. So perseverance, uh, stick to itiveness, uh, integrity, hustle 101, you know, all of our lines that we used to use. And I would say, so let's say the theme was courage. So guys, this week's all about courage. I would type up why, and I type up why it was important. And I would say, you know, it kind of reminds me of the movie um, uh, Top Gun. And for those who've never seen it before, it's about X, Y, and Z. And as you're watching the scene, I'd love for you to share back with me the most courageous decision of your life. And John, it was funny. Back in the day, we would get back like two to three hundred emails a day from people wow. that had nothing to do with business. They'd say, hey, when I was nine years old, here's what happened to me. And then we would take the best two to three stories of the week. And with your permission, of course, we would share them with everybody else. And the result of that was we built this culture and this environment that was principle based. And because it was a it was a video, a short video, in my case, it was a movie clip, people could remember it. And all I wanted, the number one thing I wanted is, was when you were by yourself and you needed to make a principle-based decision, no leaders around you or anything like that, you made the right call. So if it's Friday, you remember we, asked, we used to have we had 10 appointments a week, right? So it's Friday night, it's 5 o'clock, you got 9, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, do you stay Friday night? You can come in Saturday morning, you know, and we, and we wanted you to do that without having to rely on the 28, 29-year-old uh, leaders. Right, right. So, wow, what a great concept. So you had all these people get engaged because of those videos, sharing those stories. I mean, that must have really, that in and of itself must have brought that whole culture together. I mean, I'm just thinking if it's a big organization and I'm hearing about your story when you were a kid of a courageous act or, or something I didn't know about you, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother dimension that you're getting from that. Well, it was funny. What was confirmed about that was we were, you know, the you know the bell curve in business. You know, the ten eighty ten rule. Mm-hmm. So you get you know ten percent of people who are rock stars, right? Whatever they do, that seems to turn to gold. And then you get the ten percent of people who probably are in the wrong place because they always struggled. Mm-hmm. And then you get everybody else in the middle. And and the and the, and the people that are in the middle are talented and they're good people. They have good intent and they work hard, but for some reason they weren't able to get to the next level. And I started, as I started interviewing people and talking to people in my organization, I started getting the feeling that these people in the middle felt stuck. Um, and they just felt, look, you know, I'm always going to be on page three of the numbers. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not ever going to be invited to the conference because I don't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, getting the numbers at the top people. I'll never get there. Um, so when we started putting this movie clip system into place, we saw the middle move. So we saw activity going up. We saw we saw motivation going up. We saw we saw productivity going up. We saw retention going up. So all that long tail that led to profitability, we started seeing because we believe in the eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it's funny looking back now. What's it? You know, 10, 20 years later, um, most of those eighty percenters are doing so well right now. I'll bet. Um, because again, our job was to get them to believe in themselves. And our mm-hmm. job was to get them to continue to hustle, make good principle-based decisions when they were by themselves. And our job was to put some structure into place, and some systems into place, and motivate them to get to tomorrow. Well, what's interesting, you're almost teaching them self-leadership is really what you're doing. You know, you're, you're giving them the tools to lead themselves, which is different than, you know, there's a lot of leaders out there that are just pushing on the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, numbers. And it's this external leadership that's really impersonal. And it's just coming right at that person. And it's giving that person that feeling that, okay, well, that's all you care about is the numbers. 
But what you did was you tapped into really helping them help themselves. And I'm sure that resonated with people, right? They felt like this deep, a bit, much different connection with you and the rest of the team. So, so people always ask me, what's the number one thing a great leader should have? Okay, and I have the same answer for 20 years. It's that you have to genuinely care about your people. And by the way, there's a difference between genuinely caring and caring. Genuinely caring is heartfelt. It's your, your, you care about all, all of them. You care about their, uh, about business. You care about personal. You care about self-development. Um, and if you genuinely care about people, that oozes out of your body. Uh, every time you're up on stage or having a one-on-one conversation with you. And then people will say, well, how can I genuinely care about 1,600 people across 200 offices in seven states? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, 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 but it, it comes through every time you, you, like I said, you're on stage, you're talking to people and the emails that you send. Um, and when we started sending these, these clips out, what was amazing was that um, people felt as though we were speaking directly to them. You know, um, so and and people and and the and the feedback we were getting from people about it became the talk of the hallway, and so um, so yeah, it was it was a difference maker to your point. Yeah, that's great. So tell us about MovieCom. What's going on? What what? How did that take off from where it started? I know obviously we've got a lot of great things going on. Yeah. So so what? Uh, thanks for asking. So what ended up happening was, I get a call from uh, a New York and American Express one day, and they said, "Hey, listen, we're going to send McKinsey in to study you guys." Uh, you remember the days ever comes to visit, oh, yeah. and uh, they come in, they spend their four to six weeks, and they they look at everything, and and they come create this nine inch report, and inside the report was all about our culture and our environment, and they said that our secret sauce was storytelling. Um, and, uh, and that storytelling was supported by these iconic movie clips. So when McKinsey says that, and then some of our peers start using it in keynote speeches and emails and text messages, et cetera, I'm like, damn, maybe I'm onto something here. Um, so um, I set a cold call in the Hollywood movie studios, Disney, Universal, Paramount, Sony, the rest of the gang saying, look, I got something here. And it seems to be working for a Fortune 50 company on a consistent basis. I got to think that there are billions of people around the world, billions, whether they're employees or students or parents or just people, that if they had a system like that, you know, like this, maybe we could change lives. Um, and uh, I don't know if you know anything about Hollywood, John, but uh, they're very slow in making a decision. It took us nine and a half years of negotiating to finally get a yes. Wow. Um, I call I call it nine and a half years of begging. Uh, <laughs> about, about one day, I got a phone call from Universal Studios, who said, "Hey, I think we got this thing figured out." And long story short, uh, we became the first company in the history of Hollywood to gain legal access to their movie library uh, to do what I wanted to do, which is basically create movie clips, uh, one second to three minutes. Um, uh, they're all theme-based: perseverance, courage, teamwork, hope. Um, and we created a SaaS-based. Uh, subscription-based platform where at a low price where people can go in and they could use our clips to basically replicate what I did uh, at American Express. So so a a, uh, a a company can basically hire or or get a subscription to to uh, the MovieCom for, for your program where they have access and basically can replicate in a way of what you did. And, 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 that, and that, that's the hope. That's okay. the hope. So, so our market is our leaders. Um, so, but, but it's interesting because most people think a leader is like you and I, from a manager up to a CEO of a company, but, but a leader is a professor, a teacher, a coach, a trainer, anybody's essentially looking to, in, a parent, a parent anybody, right. <laughs> anybody's looking to influence behavior is our market. Um, especially, especially, especially if they have a, if they have a younger generation, uh, audience. So understand that in the next two years, I think 70 to 75% of the global workplace will be our kids. 
you know, um, think about that. Right. And so, and so if today's leaders can adjust how they like to learn and how they like to be communicated to and how they like to be motivated, then I think you'll see the greatest generation in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, if today's leaders don't adapt to them, then you're going to hear the sucking sound because they're all going to be leaving, going to the competition. <laughs> wow. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think, what does the future look like for, I want to ask you two questions for, for MovieCom, where's it going? Um, and what's your goal and your vision? And then I want to talk about leadership in general, where you think the future is going with leadership. Yeah, great question. So, so what we've done is we've built a SaaS-based platform that uses artificial intelligence to help our fi- clients find the right clip for the right situation in literally seconds. Most of our clients get the fact that, they, that the value of um, video, uh, and they're usually the YouTube people. Right. But when they go to YouTube, if you know what you're looking for, it's kind of easy. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it could be like dropping a penny in the Pacific Ocean. It's hard. Um, um, So what we've done is um, and and then once you find what you're looking for, you get to deal with the ads. There's copyright issues all over the place. And the last place you want to do is go to jail. So we MovieCom solves all that. Our uh, we have a library of over 7000 movie clips ranging from one second to three minutes. Um, uh, Half of what we have is what they call talking gifts if you're familiar with gifts oh, yeah. you know, you, famous movie lines you can't handle the truth failure's on an option you have made a low um and then the then there's the two to three minute version of, and you could you could shrink it if you want to start where you want and end where you want um but the ai allows you to search by facial recognition so i want to type in tom hanks angelina jolie you can type in an object like basketball or sunglasses um you could type in uh, the word um leadership and hit a dialogue button when someone's saying the word leadership or saying the phrase i'm proud of you it'll find it in literally a second so our clients um, are busy they're really busy people and they don't have time quite frankly to dig in and spend a lot of time browsing thousands and thousands of clips so that's what we've essentially built and launched um and the pricing is low price i mean it's it's less than a a movie ticket Wow, that's incredible. And that's that was one of the things I was thinking as, as somebody who's, okay, you got this whole library of thousands of videos. How do you sort through them all? And it, yet you figured out how to make it easy, quick. They can pull up the, the topic, the video that they're looking for and bang, get it out. That's why we describe it as we've created a, a, an ad-free, easy-to-use, legally-approved YouTube. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, where we, where again, we use that power of AI. The AI was a difference maker for us. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it's interesting to your second question about where we're going with all this. We're, we're seeing, we're seeing a number of things. We're, for for example, what's going on today with the virus? A lot of people are, a lot of trainers, teachers, coaches, uh, leaders are actually having to do exactly what you and I are doing: is work over Zoom. Um, and most of these people have never used technology like this before, so it's taken them a while to get used to it, number one. But number two is once you're used to it, the question is how do you make your presentations engaging? Um, how do you get people excited on the other end versus them tuning you out? The last thing in the world you want to be is boring. Mm-hmm. Um, so our clips are a way of, of helping uh, our clients uh, uh, get their messages across in a short, entertaining, and quite frankly, memorable manner. Mm-hmm. That's great. So w- where do you... Um... Let's talk about kind of where you see things evolving. So uh, in general with leadership uh, and and what does that future look like in leadership? And then I want to talk about the situation we're facing right now. I think, well, first of all, for for the first time ever, the younger generation, the millennials are getting into leadership. The top age of a millennial is um, is 37, 38 years old right now. So they're now just coming in. Again, this is the video generation. So they're going to do things differently than our generation. 
okay? Um, and the Zers are expecting it. Um, and so you know, the Zers are 23, 24 years old right now. So um, the important thing is for senior people to understand that you're going to need to adapt to this audience. So uh, IBM used to do this study, and the study was what's the number one characteristic that great leaders need to drive growth and drive long-term results? Do you know what it is? Remember that study? Mm, I don't. Vision? Creativity. Oh. Okay. Uh, because you because you constantly need to be creative. For like six years in a row was the number one attribute hmm. and characteristic. Most people, what I'm finding, are, are nervous and are afraid of, of change. Okay. Uh, because we've done the, we, we built this thing, we've run this thing a certain way for years and years and years. I don't want to be the guy to mess it up or the gal to mess it up. But the reality is this is that if you don't change, you're going to see people disengage, as I mentioned before, and you're going to see retention issues uh, and, pro and ultimately profitability issues. Because these, this generation, millennial Zers, are expected to have seven different careers, not jobs, careers by the time they're 50. OK, versus you know, back in our day, people would stay at the same job for 20, 25 years. Right. Yeah. And get the gold star. Um, but this 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 generation is extremely mobile. Um, uh, I'm not going to say they're not loyal. They will be loyal. But we have to meet in the middle in terms of adapting to the way they want to be communicated to, because if not, it's going to be really, really bad in terms of in terms of uh, ultimate profitability. So what I hear you saying is that for a leader to really thrive in tomorrow's world, you've got to be creative. You've got to be adaptable. You've got to really be able to to go through change. Let's say as a leader, I mean, is there a way to learn that? I mean, how do you become more adaptable and creative? Well, I'd add one more name that word there. It's nimble. Yeah, nimble. <laughs> because okay. the big you are, it's like turn the queen Mary around in a bathtub, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's harder and harder to do. And so, how do you learn that? Um, I I I don't have a simple answer for that. It's 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 studying and 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 going back to genuinely caring about the people, genuinely caring about the business, and understanding what that audience is. Mm -hmm. So if so, that's what we did back in the day because I. I used to teach these three-hour classes. Remember, we used to run them three, four days a week. Yep. And, and I had all my great stuff. I had my stories. I had my jokes. And they were always working. And then all of a sudden, one day, I kept falling flat. And I'm like, oh, my God, am I losing it? <laughs> but what I realized, it wasn't necessarily me because I was doing the same thing over and over again. It was the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a and, and, it's, and it's just like a, a leader back in the days. Like think about uh, uh, Bill Belichick, okay, football coach of the Patriots. He's been there for what twenty plus years. You know, incredibly successful track record. Although I'm still heartbroken about Brady. Yeah, uh, me too. But but um, he um, but if you think about what he did, I mean, he had his way of doing things. But the, the most people, most leaders, don't stay in the position more than four to five years with the same team. Because you start losing effectiveness, mm -hmm. you know. Again, they've laughed, they've heard all your stories, they've heard all your jokes, and now you're trying to figure out how do I motivate and inspire this team using new material. And and leaders are constantly looking for new ways to get their messages across to the point where they don't have to repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and that goes back to kind of what we built here. But whether it's MovieCom, whether it's uh, I, I've seen people do it with music, I've seen people do it with uh, you know other YouTube videos or uh, self videos. You just have to understand the beast of who you're leading and once you understand who you're leading and how they tick you need to be aggressive in making adjustments towards them and i see a lot of leaders i think another part of it is you've got to let go of that belief that hey you know something that i've been doing has worked for so long that it's got to work in the future i think i've seen i've seen dozens and dozens of leaders fail 
because they've held on to old beliefs and old habits and old ways of doing things. In reality, just letting that belief go opens you up to to look at things differently and maybe come up with some of these new ideas and talk to other people, talk to other leaders, right? And observe, see that's, what they're doing. That's exactly right. I mean, I mean, think about it. think about how much like you know you and I learned from each other over our years, right? Yeah. And, and some of the other great leaders that came out of American Express back in the day and Ameriprise back in the day. Mm-hmm. And we we would go to conference and we would just pick people's brains, um, right. and and that constantly fueled um, innovation, <laughs> yeah. and taking that idea and going to the next level with it. Um, but it's about engaging. It's about connecting. It's about it's about caring. Um, uh, it's about motivating, inspiring. And, and and if you get people locked into the right mindset. I think you can achieve anything. So we are in undoubtedly unique times. I mean, things that nobody has ever faced before. You know, we're quarantined. Everybody's now adapting to a whole different way of doing business. What does leadership right now look like? What do the best leaders or leaders in general need to be doing now or during any kind of crisis situation? They, that's a great question. I got to tell you, it's really simple. They've got to over-communicate on a consistent basis. I would say at least three times a week. Okay, so a Monday morning kicked kicked a week off, a midweek check in, uh, and the end of the week sending people off in a good mindset towards uh, you know towards the weekend. Um, it is much more important to over communicate versus under communicate. Don't worry about how much how many emails somebody's getting or how many text messages somebody's getting. Um, part one, part two is do exactly what we're doing: use video. Um, there was a study out there uh, with the elderly, about, and it was talking about the impact it makes doing a video conference with our parents versus just doing a phone call with our parents. Mm-hmm. There's a value of FaceTime. Mm-hmm. It, it makes people feel more comfortable. Um, and then the third thing is, is, is going back to transparency. Don't sugarcoat anything. Tell people the truth about what's going on, but give people hope. You know, let them know what's gonna, what's gonna, what could happen if everybody pulls together and 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 leads and does what they need to do in order to get everybody through the other side. Mm-hmm. Those three things, in my mind, I think is exactly what leaders should be doing today. That's so so valuable, and it and it's interesting because I think a lot of leaders shy away from communication because they don't have the answers and they feel like, okay, to be a leader, I need to have answers. Guess what? That's not the case. And and to your point. The communication, that's what people need in times like this where there's uncertainty and 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 people get in their own heads and, and emotions change into negative, you know, cause negative thoughts. They need a, a, a level of stability, security, comfort that a leader brings. Uh, and, and I agree with you with the, the visual aspect of it. I was talking to a leader, a uh, very successful leader the other day who said that. He said, my organization, we had a hundred and something people on a, a, a Zoom meeting and uh they requested, they said, we need to see you. Can you turn your camera on? Uh, and, and their point was, listen, we, we feel different when we can see you. There's a whole different level of comfort that comes from being able to lock eyes with, uh, with a leader of the organization. So That's exactly yeah. right. And, yeah. and by the way, it, it, it's one thing I'll add, too, is when you do that, you become very vulnerable. In a way, I mean, I've been, I've been, I, I probably do 30, 40 uh, Zoom meetings a week these days, and and I, I'm talking to CEOs and senior vice presidents when they have the kids running in the background, yeah. <laughs> and you real, and you and you realize they're human, right? Um, and 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 that piece, just understanding that they're human, um, I think really, really uh, is telling to the people that follow you, um, 
and and I think quite frankly that it builds a connection. And when yeah. you have that connection with somebody, you again I think will get best efforts, loyalty, and trust forever and ever and ever. Well, it goes back to what you were saying, transparency, and it builds its authenticity. You know, there's a lot of leaders that put up a facade of being somebody who they're really not, and and you know, being this mysterious person is really not good as a leader. People need to understand you. They need to understand how you make decisions, what makes you tick, what to expect from you. The leaders that try to position themselves as somebody different or try to be right. somebody else um, and and hide the true person, that ultimately people find see that. And that, that they'll see right through it. I, I, by the way, you just described I call such the 1980s and, and 1990s way of leadership, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're 20, 30 plus years later, man. It is all about it's all about connecting, showing that you care, trusting people. Yeah. And it's okay not, and by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it's not, it's, it's actually okay not to have the answers. Right. So guys, I don't, I don't know. I said, but what I do know is this, um, and just be honest with people. And when you're like that, I think that you'll, you're, these people will do whatever they possibly can to, to help. Right. And then when they see you operating, you know, mentally, you know, in a, in a good, in a good space, they can see you, you know, you're, you're, you're in a good positive uh, mindset, you know, even without those answers, it helps them get to that point too. You know? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So how important is that just managing your own emotions as a leader? Uh, how, how much does that impact results in what you're trying to do? Uh, well, it's, 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 it's kind of a double-edged question if you think about it, because you've got to be strong for people. Okay, especially when people aren't strong for themselves. Um, but on the flip side, you need to show that you're human as well. Um, so I learned a long time ago is if you don't have the answers, tell people. You know, uh, it goes back to being honest. I've, I've learned that um, when, when in doubt, I like to surround myself with people that are different than me and who, trust me, I had a lot of people that were a zillion times smarter than I was. <laughs> and I would say, here's, a, here's one thing I'm struggling with. Here's, here's, and we have multiple options. Let's walk through the pros and cons of these options. And I don't have to always have all the answers. Okay. And I think part of successful leadership is you get other people um, uh, that are around you to help you come up with a solution. Going back to the 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s, and 90s way of leadership, they always thought the leader would always be the smartest one in the room. The reality is just the opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, you're, if, you're, if you're a great leader, you, have, you hire great people and, let, and work with them, collaborate with them together to come up with the answer. Mm-hmm. And it's actually okay if it's not your idea. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Steve Jobs used to say that. He's like, you know, why would we hire smart people and tell them what to do? We hire smart people <laughs> to have them tell us what to do. You know, just I love that line. Values the importance of hiring people that are better better than you. I love that line. Yep, that's awesome. I know we're running short on time. One thing I wanted to ask you about, though, before you uh, and you referenced this earlier, you've developed so many leaders, and I've always admired that about about leaders who really understand the importance of developing other people. And I think you made it your mission to uh, to develop people. Your goal was to develop them even better than you, which is hard to do. But you were so devoted to that. Uh, how do you do that? What's your mentality around developing other leaders? Um, it is it is it's it's the one thing in the world that I just love to do. I, it goes back to my belief in people. Like like I believe John Laredo, um could run the world someday. Okay, and when you have that belief, you do whatever you possibly can to help them. So, once you have that belief up top, then you put systems into place. So, we, when we at American Express, as part of the strategic plan, was 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 to develop as many leaders as we possibly can. So, we created. I'll give an example. Every Thursday from ten to eleven o'clock, we had article review, and anybody, and it's on the phone. 
Anybody could join in at the time. Um, and I would do very little talking. I'd send the article out ahead of time. People would read it, and I would just pick on people. John, what do you think? Larry, what do you think? Paul, what do you think? Um, and get people talking. Um, we, if you remember the old uh, Ken Blanchett situational leadership, mm-hmm. um, we, we ran every single advisor uh, employee through that. Uh, full day, you know, the ropes courses back in the day and, mm-hmm. you know, showing the movie at the end. Um, and it's because we wanted to get everybody on the same page in terms of mentality. Um, all the systems we, we, you and I were very, very um, uh, lucky to use all the systems that we had at American Express because Amex was one would, that would drive leadership development through the organization. They, they believe so much in developing leaders. And for us to grow, we constantly needed the best of the best to continue to stand up and help develop, recruit, train, um, and, and, and get other people to be their best. So I, uh, it's, it's funny. If, um, people always ask me, if I, if I were to take over another company, again, above and beyond mine, what would I do? That's one of the first things I put into place because leadership leadership matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of people don't put a lot of stock in the value of leadership. And by the way, going back to that bell curve you and I talked about, there are, there are 10% of leaders that are just natural. So guys like you, put you anywhere in the world, you'll crush it. But and 10% of leaders are, are, in the, are, are just got there because they hung tough long enough. And they're what they call unconsciously competent. You know, they, they have no idea why they're successful, but they are successful. And they think just because you're there, you can actually teach that to other people. And the, the reality is no. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you get, then you get eight, uh, 80% of people that are, uh, that are leaders that just need to be trained up. They need to be coached. Um, and so if you get those 80% to move in the right direction, just like employees moving in the right direction, it is a ma- it's called factorial. Um, it's a major impact on bottom line results. That's fascinating. That's, that's so true, man. God, I could talk to you for hours, literally, because there's so much stuff that I want to <laughs> still ask you. Um, but I know we're up against the uh, clock here. Um, any any final words, any words of wisdom? You got a lot of people that are trying to learn leadership, a lot of people that are in mid to even high levels of leadership that want to get to the next level. What, what words would you give them? Um, I would say, I would say, as I've just mentioned, leadership does matter. You can make a difference in people's lives. And when you make the difference in lives, first of all, you'll, you'll affect the organization. Oh, if you're, if you're a, if you're a professor or a teacher and you're a leader there, you can completely affect people's lives, um, and the decisions that they make at a younger age. Um, but leadership really matters. And if I was a corporate leader these days, I would completely invest in a leadership development program to get the best of the best rocking and rolling, but understand it always comes down to that thing I mentioned earlier where 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 if you don't care about your people if you if, if the thought process is next <laughs> you know you're replaceable I don't, it's not going to work for you um it, you just have to truly truly care about your organization and believe in the and believe in human capital if you believe in human capital and you put systems in place to enhance that human capital to inspire that human capital um i think you'll see great results at the end that's great. Such good advice. And it's interesting. I read a statistic recently, 75% of uh, individuals and companies feel that their uh, leadership development program is either non-existent or insufficient. So it's without a doubt an area that, that needs to be focused on. So You bet, man. Well, well thank, you, thank you for having me. <laughs> you have been fantastic. So if anybody wants more information on MovieCom or wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Just go to MovieCom.com, M-O-V-I-E-C-O-M-M, like movies to communicate.com. 
Uh, there's a button that you can press that will bring you right to us. Uh, my, my direct cell phone, if anyone's interested, 703-851-1244, 703-851-1244. I'd love for you to check out MovieCom. It's a new and exciting way of, an innovative way of connecting with people in a way that they want to be connected with, which again is these short, entertaining, and memorable messages. Awesome. Well, Scott DiGiammarino, legendary leader. I'm so happy to have you on this show, and I hope you come back at some point as well. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining uh, tomorrow's leader, today's episode. And if you uh, like it, be sure to hit that thumbs up button, comment, uh, make sure you share it. We're uh, very interested in your uh, comments as well as uh, subscribe to the channel to get more. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Scott, thanks again, buddy. Thanks, John. Have fun. All right.